Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mark, thank you very much for taking the time to come back on the program. And I know you, dis- you connect with the disconnected young. What are many feeling and, and what are they going through now? Well, thanks for having me back, Roy. And certainly young people, like older people, uh, are experiencing this time of uncertainty. Certainly with uh, summer uh, coming around the bend very soon, uh, a lot of questions around uh, camps and sports and activities. Uh, certainly, you know, the fear of the third wave and if we're going to go back to the isolation that we've been facing before. And I think just a general fatigue of when will all this be over? We're more than a year into it now. And, you know, when you're a kid, especially if you're 15, 16, 16 years old, one year is a significant portion of your life. If, as you get older, it, it uh, is less so. But uh, when you're a little kid, this is, a, this is a, a big deal as it is for everybody, I think. Mark, how does it manifest itself if all of these uh, factors that you mentioned or several of them are present in the life of a young person? I guess we could say anyone, anywhere, a child from five years of age to a, a young person in their mid to late teens. How do, they, how do, these, how do these emotions, how do these, these, uh, this feeling of uh, being disconnected, how, how could it manifest itself? In young people especially, though, again, we see this with adults too, but with young people especially, uh, this sort of emotional rawness or, or uh, hyper-availability of their emotions. So that could manifest in a number of ways. Uh, irritability, uh, tearfulness, extreme sadness. So we're looking at swings in emotion that are uh, pretty significant from their baseline or how they usually are. Now, you know, one of the risks, of course, is that this is a bit of the nature of adolescence in particular, uh, as well as younger age periods too, have these wild swings in emotion. So there's a danger for parents and for other caregivers to think, oh, this is just a normal part of being a kid, except it's not always so normal. So really what you want to look for then are, uh, in addition to these swings in or or, or, uh, hyper availability of their emotion, are ways in which it's actually interfering with their lives. If they are chronically unhappy, if it's been pursued, consistent, uh, if, if they seem to have a, a compromised resilience, uh, so they're not able to bounce back from it as quickly. Uh, we're really looking for a constellation of factors uh, to suggest if somebody might have a potential mental health problem. So these are the things, I mean, you went through these uh, many issues yourself, and you told us uh, the first time we talked, I think you were 12, was you 12 years of age when it first started to manifest itself, and then at 15 came the suicide attempt. Actually, it was a little bit younger than that. So uh, I was 15 when I had my final suicide attempt, but I started becoming suicidal uh, overtly anyway, as young as about 12 years old. But I distinctly remember uh, what I now know are symptoms as young as nine or 10 years old. So for me, it began uh, very, very early. And this is exactly what it looked like, you know, the uh, manifesting the uncertainty uh, that I felt inside me uh, into the outside world as well. And, And really, I think it was looking for somebody to help me and not having the language to do that. How difficult is it for, let's assume we have uh, young people listening to this program now, 
or their parents are listening to the program right now and they recognize there's an issue, there's a problem, there's a problem with the, the young person or persons in their home. How difficult is it to talk about it, whether you're the young person or the parent or a friend or someone who's associated with the situation? Well, you know, I think the, the good news is for millennials, Gen Z and younger uh, is that stigma, while still very much a problem, is less of a barrier than it is for older generations and previously uh, to actually speaking up. It, that still is a concern, though, the stigma that people will think I'm crazy or different or uh, will isolate me. That's one of your greatest fears, especially if you have the most common mental health problems like anxiety and depression. Uh, you fear that you'll be treated differently when you already feel different. You already feel isolated and alone. So I think part of it is recognizing that right up front, that a lot of people struggle with these issues, uh, that probably the parents themselves uh, have dealt with these kinds of issues. So the person isn't alone. We have to reassure the, the uh, young person of that. The other side of this, though, is that uh, we're not really raised with the kind of emotional literacy or the language to put to the things that we feel. We're all born with feelings, of course, but we're not all born with the words for those feelings. So you can think about the last time that you were searching your mind for a word. You knew the word for something, but it, you just couldn't think of it. That's what it can feel like to try to name and label your emotions if you haven't actually practiced what those names are. You know you feel something, but you're not sure what to call it. So that could be a barrier as well, is that you actually don't have the language for what you're feeling. If there's a sense of, hey, look, they'll be fine. Once this thing is under control, once most people are vaccinated, once there's some sense of herd immunity, once life returns to reasonably back to where, where it was, the kids will just snap out of it. Yes or no? Uh, so there's a little bit of truth to that, uh, and I think that it's uh, this is where we need to remain hopeful. The kids are resilient. Kids are hardwired for struggle. Uh, they will get through this, the vast majority. However, it's important to remember that in uh, events like this, especially a, a protracted trauma uh, uh, of this last year, uh, that not all kids are going to be able to make it out as easily. Sometimes when people fall into a slump, that's very normal, of course, to w whether it be grief or shock or uh, any other sudden uh, uh, change in a, in a situation or emotion. But there will be some who get stuck uh, down in that valley, who get stuck in that, that state that they're in. Uh, and that's really where we need to make sure that we have the supports a bit available, both clinical, professional, formal supports, but also informal supports and social supports in our communities and schools to really help those kids who don't have as easy of a time bouncing back. Yeah. Mark, how much of all of this, and you, you mentioned it also a couple of times, so let me just bring them into the conversation. How much of what we've talked about uh, relates to the, to the adult population of this country? Yeah, you know, I, I think all of this relates to the adult population. And in some ways, uh, young people are better positioned uh, through the course of this pandemic to really develop emotional literacy skills that are going to last them their whole lives. Whereas if you've lived the last... 30, 40, 50 plus years, uh, not really knowing how to talk about what you're feeling, uh, then it's going to be much more difficult for you to now recognize that, oh, this pandemic has actually been really hard on my mental health and I need help. That's going to be a lot harder for somebody who's uh, a little bit more seasoned, a little older, uh, who never really had an opportunity to explore this level of difficulty uh, and isolation in their life. So I think this is impacting everybody and the stats have borne that out as well, uh, that people who 
who are already at risk for mental health problems and illnesses, adults, uh, they have seen increasing uh, rates of diagnosis, uh, but so have people who have never previously had a mental health problem or illness before. We're seeing uh, rates of new diagnoses increase as well. Sharon is in Toronto. Hi, Sharon. Thank you for the call. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Um, Anxiety, panic, darkness, nausea. I didn't used to have nausea. I do suffer from um, anxiety and depression, but I'm isolated. My children lived with me, and during the um, pandemic, they moved out. So there's very little contact. I used to volunteer at Progress Place. There is not that happening now, so I don't have... um, in my 60s, I'm not yet retired, but almost. So it is really, 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 like sometimes the darkness is so, the darkness is so, it's not real darkness, but it's a way of describing what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Sharon, so, I need you to turn down your radio, because oh, so, you're coming back at yes. yourself 10 seconds later. But let me also ask, uh, Mark, you've heard what Sharon's had to say. And, and one of the issues that we've, we've talked about and uh, which has been brought up is people being alone and feeling alone during this Sorry, time. sometimes um, I can't remember okay. what day of the week it is. Okay, just hold, hold on, Sharon. Let's have Mark talk to you. So there's a couple of things, Sharon, that you're mentioning that I think are are very, very common. Uh, And and namely, I'm thinking of the physical effects of anxiety. You know, you you mentioned uh, uh, your your memory certainly has been uh, affected uh, and a variety of other physical effects. Look, we know that um, heightened stress, anxiety, persistent anxiety is really hard physically on our body. Um, So that's not surprising to me at all. And then the other piece that you mentioned here that I think a lot of people are experiencing uh, is a take taking away of the accidental coping that we used to be doing. We didn't realize we were doing so many things to cope and to improve our mental health um, until they were taken away. So you mentioned volunteering, uh, the distraction that was provided by your kids living with you at the time. And now suddenly all of that has changed and you're, you're carrying this darkness as you describe it with you. Um, So what I want you to know is that, first of all, what you're experiencing is expected. Uh, A lot of people who deal with anxiety and depression uh, report feeling exactly the types of symptoms uh, that you're sharing here today. Um, The other piece of this is that um, while a significant amount of our social lives and that uh, has changed and that accidental coping has been taken away, uh, we can find new ways to cope uh, that help to build that social connection. So uh, in terms of volunteering, for example, try getting in touch with Progress Place or a number of other uh, social enterprises and see how you can participate with them virtually or, yeah, or in other ways. Yeah, lack of money too. No, my children used to be with me. Um, I'm bearing the full brunt of the bills. Um, The other thing is I used to go to 155, um, there's a Coptic church on Queen and Broadview, and Mm -hmm. volunteer there, so I had people with me. At times, my moods are very weird, because I do want to be with people, but I don't want to be with people. People have to share the same values as me, like if they like reading and so on. Now, I read and I don't remember what I read. I don't know if people are going through that, but it's weird. I can't remember sometimes. How do I spell this word that I used to spell? I I, I, I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, that, those memory lapses, you know, I certainly experienced them, uh, we, certainly at the at the height of my anxiety. So uh, some strategies here that you might want to use too. then, uh, okay. practicing mindfulness, uh, mindfulness meditation. Uh, and there are oh, structured that. practices that you can look up online to try this, for example, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, okay. How that can help your memory is it helps you to be more in the present, in the moment. Why you're forgetting things with your anxiety, potentially, is because your attention is being drawn out elsewhere. You're trying to read a book, but your mind is floating off somewhere else worrying. Um, and mindfulness can help you to be in the moment to help to intensify that memory better. Uh, and it also, you raised uh, involvement volunteering at a church or a faith community of some kind. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that people who participate in faith communities have higher rates of mental health. So finding ways to get involved, I think, will help okay. with these other symptoms. Okay, Sharon, I appreciate your call and all the very best to you. Is there one piece of fundamental advice that people should, uh, you know, can, can employ? So you find yourself in the middle of the day, you're doing what you're doing, Mark, and uh, Sharon said sometimes it just uh, overwhelms her. Is there some methodology, some practice you can employ to get yourself into a, you know, a more positive frame of mind? Yeah, you know, certainly I think the first step for me anyway is to always be gentle with yourself before you even reach out to try to fix anything or to judge anything as uh, as not right or getting too frustrated. I've so many times found that the um, that pain and suffering don't necessarily have to always go together. This is a painful time for everybody, but how much we suffer sometimes is a function of how much we either cling to our old life or how much we say to ourselves, it's not supposed to be this way, I don't want it to be this hard. When, if we're able to uncouple those two things, and this is what mindfulness teaches you how to do partly, uh, then we don't have to suffer as much as we do. Um, so be gentle with yourself, but also make that extra effort to reach out and connect with others. That's a vital part of our mental health and well-being, and we need to find new ways to do that, to fill that void. Okay, so now your book is headlined, or the title of it is So-Called Normal. In about 30 seconds, that's what we have left. What is normal? I found through uh, living my life and through writing the book that there is no objective version of normal, that we're all just creating and inventing normal as we go. So we need to let go of that idea that we need to be perfect. We need to be like everybody else. We need to be happy even uh, because we're all in this together. We're all struggling and that's perfectly okay. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.